yeah, our industry attracts the biggest losers sometimes. And they're just all bottom of the barrel chasing a dollar. Every business is a media company. So the fitness and wellness and health industry has terrible media. You build something, you sell it, you have an acquisition, there's money in your pocket. Like the thing you sold gets you immediate cash, not just running the business. Hello, and welcome to Gym World Worldwide. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Mateo Lopez. Here, as always, is my partner in crime, John Edward Franklin. And today, we have a very special guest, co-founder of Fit Insider, managing partner at Fit Capital, um, Anthony Venari, here to talk to us about the fitness industry and how people can make money in it. Anthony, how are you doing today? I'm good. Appreciate you guys having me on. Well, thanks for coming on. I'm pretty excited. Um, a little starstruck because, you know, I get your emails all the time. And so it's like you email me every day. It says your name. It's in my inbox all the time. So, you know, I feel like I'm, I'm meeting a little internet celeb. So I'm pretty stoked. Well, it's a weekly email. So I don't know how you're getting it every day unless you. you yeah. I'm, I, oh, yeah. I, maybe I just look at them every day. I, I <laughs> open the one once a week and I, every day I, I get through one section, you know, because there's so much info in there. It's jam packed. Hey, it's Teo. You know, I know I email you every day, but I just want to say. You know, the, the, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it does go. take a while I'm, to read. I'm on the last section and it's really resonating with me. Here's why. <laughs> yeah. They are exceptionally long for emails. I'll give you that. I, it would take me a week to read it. We, we've been trying our best to not shorten it, but eliminate as much as possible any fluff so it isn't as long, but somehow it still ends up the same length every week. Yeah. They are dense, but um, they're great. Uh, in fact, uh, the first iteration of the show was largely, largely just uh, stealing news pieces from the newsletter and then doing our own riffs on them. So, you know, I feel like you have uh, you have been a boon to other fitness content creators because, uh, I don't know, I feel like, yeah, you're the source. You're the guy. No, I appreciate that. We, we've had a lot of people that have done that other newsletters, other places that never say it was us. So it's good to actually hear it. Um, oh, we didn't either. We're just doing it now that you're on. So. No, we, we, we call we called them out, but ours were yeah. mixed with like actual TikToks. There was no seriousness about it. There were very few venture capitalists watching it. I think it was tailored towards a completely different audience than uh, the people who get a lot of value out of Fit Insider. So, uh, but very hard to do. And from what we found, uh, very few gym owners seem to want to stay up to date on the the meta news rather than how do I make more money tomorrow. And, and before the show, we were talking a little bit. It sounded like that was kind of your edge, right? Because you guys were gym owners and personal trainers originally, right? Yes. So we've done pretty much everything you could do in the space. Trainers, gym owners, whether it was training people in parks, working at a YMCA, um, owning our own facilities. And then we kind of bridged into, we manufactured our own equipment at one point for a long time. We had, we created our own like CEC education training course and certification. We, we did uh, the licensing thing like CrossFit. We had multiple gyms that we ran and the ones that we licensed. So we literally ran a game on like what is operating in the health and fitness space. And sorry, when we say we, you run uh, Fit Insider with your brother, correct? Yes. Uh, every business since I was 21, since when we started, uh, we have run them together. Yeah. What's that like working with your brother? I don't know if people don't work with their family because then you get in those fights and it sucks and it's like a hard time, especially, you know, we didn't come from, I didn't know what, I barely graduated high school. I don't know what running a business was. I was not good at most things. So kind of having to learn and literally start from ground zero with no money to do it. 
um, is rough and you can't walk, at least how my family is set up. You can't just walk away from your brother. So like we had to come back and figure it out. But if it was somebody else, I'd been like, I'm done. Get out of here. <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about that really quick. Like I kind of want to hear about the, the beginning and the, and that first kind of iterations of working together. I mean, cause your story is really amazing. You went from, you know, I guess kind of like a footballer gym guy, uh, in your words, meathead from, from Pittsburgh to, you know, a managing partner at a VC fund. So, and all this, like you said, without a college degree. So how did you first get into fitness and when did you open your, your first gym? Yeah, it was unique in that I, um, I got into fitness in high school. I'm from Western Pennsylvania where the first Friday night football game was ever played for high school. So like the original kind of where football was and how big it is, as you see, like in shows, that's where we're from. So playing football, we had a strength coach all throughout middle school and high school. So we were lifting and doing all that. And Joe and I just got really into it. And we were fortunate that we dug into the magazines and the books and all this stuff. And like, it was just our passion. So I did my senior project on being a trainer. I shadowed trainers at the Y and other gyms. I worked with a strength coach. I was reading the NSCA uh, CSCS book when I was like 16, trying to like study for it for when I did want to take it when I was old enough. So it was always our thing. And then I joined the Marines at, right out of high school. And in the Marines, you know, fitness is, is a major part of what you do. And in doing that and the cool experiences I had there, that was another part of like, okay, this is what I want to do with my life. So when I got out, um, Joe was a high school history teacher and he was a football coach on the side and a strength coach on the side for the school. So it was like perfect. Um, when I got out, I was started training people in parks, um, running classes at YMCA's, doing everything I can with like a basic like ACE certification to just get out there and get the experience. And then I started going and I went USAW and uh, NASA and all of through every certification you get and went to all the weekend trainings and found coaches like Rob Shaw from Mountain Athlete or what it was called then, like with Mountain Military Athlete, Mountain Athlete, whatever it was called then and different coaches like that and just studied as much as we could. And we were fortunate that there was an indoor skate park in the in near the area that we were. That was 12,000 square feet that was abandoned for like 10 years. Literally, it was above an ice arena. It was this massive space. And I built up a following training people in the parks. There was went from one person to 10 to 15 to we were having weekends where 50 people would show up and do a workout with us. Um, and I was also training at the Y and we had a ton of members at the Y right down the road from where this place was that loved us. So met this crazy landlord who ended up going to jail for tax evasion. So he did, found out I was very lucky. Classic. The, the, Classic. The, rate, the rate he gave us on the gym was insane. It was like $1,500 a month. If we tore down the skate park, he was like, there's a skate park up there. If you tear it down and you clean it up and you make it a space that's habitable for a gym, you can pay 1500 bucks a month for 12,000 square feet. Um, so we did it. We tore down the skate park. We have pictures. It's hysterical. Um, and our first gym was 12,000 square feet, had turf that we found someone was thrown out from like a field house up the road and <laughs> trash turf. Uh, That's awesome. Trash turf, hundred percent trash turf. And that was the start of like us. And we just happened to have these people that would train in the parks, the people from the YMCA, our opening day, we had a hundred members sign up. Oh, nice. Um, and what it was, year was this? Oof, I'm terrible with years. What decade was this? <laughs> like 11, 12 ish, 2011, 2012, 2013, in that gap. 
Okay, so this is about the same time we started. It was like when CrossFit was really taking off, yeah. and we were doing kettlebell body weight, sandbag stuff. Um, I had already been training all of these people with kettlebells, and we were very strict on form and like what that was, so they knew how to do it. And it was just a fun group exercise class, and you had twelve thousand square feet, so we could have fifty people a class, and that's what we it, literally from day one. There were fifty, sixty people in a class. We do like a whiteboard session, plan out the workout, talk through it. And then go do it, but it, well, there's no barbells or anything. It was strictly we created our own like programming around just kettlebells and body weight because we thought barbells were too much for most of the people that were taking the classes. So how did you get so many bodies in the door? Was it you guys were good at training people, or were you did you have marketing savvy at that point? Was content the cornerstone then? Like I know it's easier to fill out gyms in 2012, but uh, that's still pretty impressive numbers. I mean, not easier. There's nowhere to go. Where did you market? It was like, uh, I mean, now I could probably get a thousand people to show up to a gym tomorrow with the right Facebook ad or the right plan. But um, at that time, Facebook was barely a thing that anyone was using and there was other channels. So we um, we went old school. I went door to door, literally in our entire in the entire neighborhood. I got the cops called on me so many times. Oh, wow. We were just like, it was so funny. I was just walking around, knocking on doors. They didn't know what I would do doing the whole hang stuff at coffee shops, hang out. And then the free Actual cold outreach, going door to door. <laughs> oh, very cold outreach. And then the, the workouts in the park, I would still do workouts in the park for the, when we had our gym for free on, on the weekends. And like I said, five, 10, 20, 50, and they were free workouts. I wasn't making any money. Um, but in doing that, people knew us, they got to see our brand, they got to have fun. Uh, and it was Joe and I training together and he was coming on the weekends or like at nights in between being a teacher. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I guess it was that and just the, you know, at the time in, in our family, there was a ton of crazy stuff where like we needed to make money. There was no like, Oh, I can go do something else. So it was like that level of survival where like, it's going to work. And, and I don't even remember specifically outside of like the cold outreach, the door to door, the coffee shops. And like I said, I was training at a Y right down the road. There was a big Y and our class, for my class there was the most popular class. I would drive, they didn't have kettlebells at the Y, so I would drive them in every day and unload hundreds of pounds of kettlebells, teach three or four classes. And they, it was, we had to go and move the class to tennis courts because they were so big that we would take over two or three tennis courts um, and have all of the members coming and working out there. And between those two things, um, when we opened, people knew who we were and they were like, yeah, we'll come to the gym. Was this shaped by like, like CrossFit? Cause I, I know you, we've talked, you talked about just a second ago, like our career was, I mean, we owned CrossFit affiliates, but also, you know, it was this moment where, you know, uh, the group fitness, this style, it led to Orange Theory. It started taking off in this kind of time period. So was that part of it that you, people were interested in kettlebells now and you were offering kettlebell classes or what exactly was it about the, the model you think that got people interested? No, we, it wasn't at first. Eventually we owned a bunch of CrossFits. So we made that transition and I, I loved it. I loved Olympic weightlifting and everything, but at this, no, it was, it was me playing off the Marine thing, the military training, the stuff like that. And then just honestly, I credit all to Rob Shaw. He, his type of training, the way that he approached things, the step ups, the sandbags, like our gym was pretty much free to open because we found a manufacturer that made kettlebells in China and we were ordering them because we were selling them at the same time. And 
we were doing like a side hustle of selling kettlebells back when it was hard to get them for like a good price. And then, um, like the, the sea bags that were sandbags that he would make and he made custom slam balls and he was all this stuff. We did that. And then his programming mixed with, I mean, it wasn't hard. We adapted hard style kettlebell training. Cause I didn't like, like no, no mom is going to want to do snatches all day. That's just not what she wants to do. So we adapted hard style training mixed with some of the stuff that Rob Shaw was doing. And um, the only thing we took from CrossFit, but this is what we did in the Marines too. It was like that whiteboard. You have a big whiteboard, you plan whatever. But um, it was more because I also got my start at the Y. I saw like the Les Mills body pump style. You got to have good music. You got to have fun. Make it more something you could jump into. And this was long as we get down the road to on the story. The biggest business mistake I ever made was not taking this program and turning it into a franchise, like an exponential or like a BFT or anything else right now, because seeing a hundred people swing kettlebells that would never swing kettlebells. And it's such a good workout with the running, the sprints, the sandbags, the kettlebells, all that stuff. You really don't need the other things. Um, so yeah, it was, it was that style of training. And that was what got us into CrossFit as we kind of went and learned about more things. It's funny, we were talking to uh, Kale Owen at Gym Launch yesterday, and he was saying their biggest regret was not just having a corporate-owned facility for all the stuff that they were doing. So seems like that's a recurring theme. If you got gold, gym owner, just uh, don't give it away. That's, uh, <laughs> l- l- don't learn sell it. from these guys. <laughs> Do not sell uh, it, especially in this market. Keep building it. You eventually made the pivot. You were early to online programming, right? I mean, you were early to kind of licensing um, your your model. Um, how did all that play out? And I guess what were the lessons learned when you were trying to like actually expand? Yeah, this was the crazy part. So first gym, second gym was just us doing it. It was called Hybrid Athlete. I feel like that name has been used like a thousand times for gyms. Yeah. It's the most generic name say, for Isn't a gym that like ever. Rob Orlando's gym? <laughs> There's so many of them. We owned the hybridathlete.com or like hybrid athlete Pittsburgh or whatever. So we were lucky we did it early. So, um, one gym, two gyms. Then we started doing CrossFits. Then we started opening like uh, under the name kettlebell cardio, which was our programming that we had. Um, and we had the trademark for kettlebell cardio, which was awesome at the time. Um, how many physical so, locations do you have at that, at the biggest point? Oh, well, if you count licensed facilities, 42, um, yeah, it got big, but we didn't know what we were doing because I was still so young and dumb. I didn't understand it. So wholly owned, we had eight, nine. We had nine wholly owned ones. Um, and then one that was like a small, uh, almost like a Camp Gladiator outdoor type thing that we would do every day outside in like an indoor outdoor facility. But we were in Pittsburgh, so it only ran like, or we were in the Midwest, so it only ran like so many months of the year. But so we were counting ourselves at 10 that we ran with people that worked for us. And it was unbelievable. It was a phenomenal business. Our first facility in and of itself was just like printing money. And because it's big open space, cheap rent, and you didn't need much. And then we, as I mentioned, we rang, I went and figured out how to partner with a manufacturer that let us custom brand really nice kettlebells. Um, so we started selling those facilities and then we, because they did kettlebells, they're like, Oh, we do sand bell. We do sandbags. We do medicine bells, we do all this stuff. So I was straight up like selling to recreation facilities, all this stuff, equipment as a side hustle. And it was great. We were making good money on it, good margins. And then as we started to meet these people, they're like, do you have any programming we could do? 
we're like, oh, it just so happens we started, we have this kettlebell group exercise program that everybody loves. It's the shit. Like you should use it. So we're like, how do we franchise this? And then you look into franchising and it's very, very complicated. So then we went that we looked at CrossFit and the affiliate model where you pay a yearly fee, you get the trainings and the educations. And then we spun up our own certification, our kettlebell cardio certification. It was just us training how to teach the classes. You had to pay for the certification. You had to pay for the license and then you had to buy all your equipment from us. And we started setting these facilities up and there was a yearly fee, just like CrossFit. There was the training and education. We helped them run it. And you know, there's rivers clubs that owned it and, or that bought into it. There's YMCA's all over. Cause I was like a YMCA guy and I knew how to sell to them. We had, and was that also you going door to door or just calling gyms or how did you get them to buy? Calling gyms. And it, as this time, it's a couple years later, we've really kind of played the SEO game and it was when you could game SEO early on. And, um, we also started doing online fitness. We were one of the like OG true fitness creators selling PDFs and workout programs and other things. So people would find us and we were making videos and workouts and we were selling thousands of PDF workouts to people all across the world every month. And it was like this really big business under the same name. We were fortunate that we just made it hybrid athlete and kettlebell cardio. And Joe got a big presence as a trainer. He was like shape magazines, top 25 trainers and all of this stuff was going on. And, and a lot of cold calling and cold emailing and selling stuff. So in the end, it was like we had this massive enterprise that was doing all of this. But the family stuff, my dad had passed away with the very beginning of all this. And I was young and um, we know Joe and I were young and dealing with that and the money of like having to take care of everyone. And then we just didn't know how to do like insurance and taxes and like everything properly. So it just got so big that we went and we tried to sell off the business. We were like, we've got to sell this. But then when we would talk to actual people, and this is how we transitioned into like the venture capital startup world, everyone's like, your shit's just not in order, man. Like your 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 enterprise is not packaged properly. And that was like a very embarrassing moment where like my just one gym's doing half a million dollars a year in revenue. Like, what are you talking about? I'm crushing it. And they're like, it doesn't matter. You have to redo all of this. So we sold off what we could. We kept some of the places going for a while. And then we really focused on the online piece. And we were selling, like I said, I mean, at one point we were doing over $100,000 a month in PDF programs um, online. And it was for like kettlebell, body weight, all of that stuff. And that was our first taste of like, it wasn't big, but it was something as like, you build something, you sell it, you have an acquisition, there's money in your pocket. Like the thing you sold gets you immediate cash, not just running the business. And then we dove deep into startup world. Like, oh, you could raise... Because other when we went through the sales process, so like, who did you raise money from? Who are your investors? I'm like, what's an investor? I didn't know at that point. So yeah, it was just like... And that showed us a whole new world. And then we dove super deep into the startup, like uh, venture capital landscape and, and built companies there. And that's what got us to where we are today with the the version of Fit Insider and, and the different media and investing aspects. So you basically learned SEO from selling PDFs online. You were like the original like buys and tries guys. Exactly. It was like if you searched bodyweight training anywhere in the world, we were the first thing that you came up. So you just got into the game at the right time. And then why, why did you think media was like a better opportunity than trying your hand at gyms again or, you know, doing a different uh, direct marketing type play? 
Um, well, we had a, so many, I mean, we could talk for 10 hours about all the different businesses in between. I had this thing where I would always find somebody doing something like I got introduced. The reason we got into the content game and this was, we had a content business that we sold before this one uh, that got really Fitz, big. Pittsburgh. Yeah. It was called fit. That's where fit insider came from. And that was because, and then we had one before that, that we sold too. Um, and that was, I got introduced to Gary V and his whole thing was like content is king. Like your content, your brand, every company has to be a media company regardless of what you sell. And then, uh, in getting introduced to that, read like all of his books, went to one of his things and like you learn real quick. And then you kind of just, it was always this like knowledge chasing of who's doing, if someone did it and if they weren't a doctor or a lawyer, they needed a degree to do something. I was like, I could probably figure that out. And that's where like, I learned how to build websites. I learned how to do SEO. I learned how to sell and direct sell. And I learned how to license and manufacture equipment overseas. And all of that was just like, okay, if this guy does it, I'll find a way to do it. Um, and that was what kind of led us to over many businesses and many iterations. And every time it was always like leveling up of our brand, our name, our content and doing it the right way. It was never like a quick buck. It was always, if we're building it, it's going to be awesome because our name is going to be important. And that was the most important thing we've ever done that our dad taught us, like build this kind of long-term value of who you are. And that's why we were able to raise money as guys who never went to college or did anything, or we were able to raise a venture fund in partnership with a massive family office that is super respected in the world. That's guys who never went, or I didn't go to college, at least Joe's a teacher. Um, it's because we, over the many years that we did this, we built a brand of guys that knew the space, knew what they were doing, made money, delivered on businesses. And we just kept kind of leveling up and seeing, okay, yes, I can own the gyms. Well, what if I start a startup and it's worth $25 million because it's a tech and a media company. Well, that's easier than running gyms and you could build it with less people and you don't have to own the real estate. Okay. Well, if I can launch a startup and sell it that way, there's other startups out there doing it. Why don't we angel invest or why don't we work with other funds become advisors of funds and help them because we know the space they don't. Um, and then, okay, well, why don't we raise our own fund? And again, if we're raising our own fund and we're doing all this, every business is a media company. So the fitness and wellness and health industry has terrible media. The, the, there's like, there's 10 different old incumbents that are the same things when I was around running a gym and they are pay to play scammy press release services. No one talks about the space. No one understands it. And we said, we like to write, we love the space. Let's make it ourselves. And that's kind of what fit insider kind of came from. I got a state of the industry yesterday that, uh, 60% of it was sponsored content. Like I went back and, and counted it because I was just so impressed at how, how much sponsored content they managed to sandwich into this one guy. It's, and they send you so many emails and it's so sponsored and it talks about the same crap. It's the same people at the same events that have been there since I started my gym 10 years ago. And that's why we didn't even put advertisers in the newsletter until a month ago. And when we did it, it's like morning brew. It's very, this issue is presented by this person and that's it. There's no selling. You can't pay to be in it. You could offer me a million dollars. I'll not talk about you if you think it's trash. Same thing with the podcast. Um, the, the jobs board, our jobs board's free. It's every jobs board out there is not free. Ours is hundred percent free. And, um, yeah, it's just crazy. So we went the complete opposite of all of these places because we just, they're just garbage and we wanted to represent the industry bigger. Plus 
we looked at health and wellness as it's not just fitness. It's not just gyms. What matters to a gym owner is not just the state of the industry that, you know, exponential is doing this or this person's doing that. What's the consumer spending their money on? What's Gen Z interested in health and wellness? What are they doing? How do they bucket their spending compared to wearables and sleep and eight sleeps and other stuff? Like if you're a trainer or a coach, you need to know this shit. And you need to know the newest softwares. You need to know the newest companies. You need to see what um, the the big companies are doing, what the influencers are doing. You need to know everything. Otherwise, you're not informed and you're not going to build a real business. So you're saying you don't think club industry does well? I'm pretty sure Cybeck, like they own no, a they bunch do. of... I was going to say, I yeah. was like, I think they're a pretty monster business. They're good. They're, they're good people. Like club industry has been around for like 40 years and they're owned by Cybex and they do these events, but it's all pay to play. Um, but there's so many, I'd say Ursa and club industry have like the OG ones that have been doing it for the longest. It's a large part of it is sponsored. And even if it says it's sponsored sometimes or it doesn't say it's sponsored, it probably is, or it's the same people. And there's nothing against them. You know, they do, Cybex does spas and, you know, all the other areas. Ours is we're trying to drive the health and wellness industry forward. And what's going to be 10 years from now, what startup, what company, what tech company, the next gym, the next mind body, the next Peloton, the next, you know, um, Matt, my fitness, the next piece of equipment, all of that. We want to have the data and information so that that founder knows what they're building and where they're going and where the funding is and where the, all the other stuff is. That's what we want to do. It seems like club industry makes a lot of money from like networking events. So they'll throw these like high ticket events where they pair like buyers and people selling stuff and you pay a ton of money and then you get a basically it's like speed dating for fitness. Um, and that seems to be like a pretty standard, pretty standard fare across all these niche publications. But um, I guess it wasn't until like, the hustle sold and Sam Parr started making content and uh, they started talking about morning brew that um, I realized like how massive some of these newsletter businesses can get. Like I would imagine uh, they're probably helping a lot. They're probably spinning off a lot of competitors in the niche for you guys. But I, I'd imagine there's a huge advantage of being like early to that style of content. We interrupt this program for a brief word from our sponsors. Hey, Mother Teresa, Mama T, how are you? How's it going? How's, how's heaven treating you? How is it up there? Yeah? Oh, that's fantastic. That's amazing. I, uh, no, well, I'm not actually, I'm not actually up there with you right now. I'm, uh, no, no, don't, no, don't, don't worry. They didn't send me, they didn't send me down there either. I, uh, no, I'm actually in gym heaven right now. Yeah, gym heaven. It's a funny story. I was actually in gym hell before. I was wasting a ton of time trying to fix my website and set up a marketing automation system. And I was spending a lot of money on my gym management software. But ever since switching to Kilo, I've been in gym heaven and everything has been amazing. So I'll tell you how it works. The first thing they do is they set you up with a brand new website. It was really easy. All I had to do was fill out a form and in less than seven days, they sent me a brand new site and they fixed my SEO. So now when people are searching for gym near me, they can actually find me. It's amazing. The next thing they did is they set me up with this incredible marketing automation system. It plugs into my website directly. So now when anyone clicks on my site, they can book an appointment or trial with me 
and they get automated emails and text messages and I don't have to do a thing. It's basically like having little sales and marketing guardian angels watching over me. And then the last thing they blessed me with is a new gym management system. So now I can charge my members and I can book them for appointments and manage my class schedule all in one place. It's fantastic. Oh, you're, uh, you're interested in learning more about Kilo. I, I, I mean, that's great. I didn't, I didn't know they had gyms up there uh, where you're at. So they, uh, oh, every day, is, every day is a PR day. Okay, I see. All right, well, yeah, I mean, if you're interested, all you have to do is go to usekilo.com and book a sales call with them. That's usekilo.com. Book a sales call with them today. <laughs> I don't think that. Um, one of the questions I had is like, who do you make it for? Right. Cause it's definitely, it doesn't seem like the avatar for uh, fit insider is your, you know, standard issue personal trainer or um, like CrossFit gym owner. We make it for, that's the difference for us at least. It's not fitness. It's not wellness. It's not health. It's the broad market of all of it. Recreation. We'll talk about pickleball one week. We'll talk about where the, where the, you know, mental health industry is going. We'll talk about longevity. We'll talk about fitness and, you know, Nike came to us to break the news and FitLab came to us to break the news of their newest Nike's opening gyms and studios. That's something a trainer should know because that's big news and what's happening and all that. So it's for anyone that touches the industry whatsoever, because like I said, what gave me, I think the advantage to get to where we are and to build the businesses and do things was we looked at the broader market. It wasn't like, what's my gym and the five gyms around me. If that's all you care about, great. Um, but if you're thinking about selling online, building more, running bigger businesses, learning from these other people and understanding the consumer you're selling to, it's for everybody. And like we have, you know, think through the CEOs of Peloton and Nike and Lululemon, all of them read it every week. We have the, the CEOs of Planet Fitness and Crunch and, uh, Exponential and all them. Same thing. They read it every week. Um, uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of trainers and coaches and gym owners that read it every week. Uh, people in the head of strategy at the NBA and, um, you know, the PE firm that owns the rights to a hundred, uh, what is it? Cycle bars or whatever you want to call it. So it's like a wide range of people. And we want to talk for all of them. Like this latest issue that we wrote, it had a piece about longevity and what that means. Um, and then it also had news on, um, gyms that are opening the supplement company selling who raised money, what's happening. And I think for me, it's like, if I was a trainer, we built it for who I was. If I was a trainer and coach, I want to know those things. Cause I want to go beyond my four walls to like build the next thing. And since you are on this like macro view of the industry, what are the trends you're seeing now and what are some things that your average brick and mortar gym owner or your CrossFit gym owner should know in order to position themselves to do well? Yeah, it's really, it's something that I'm so passionate about because I still, I mean, every time I see an empty warehouse or space, I'm like, I call Joe, I'm like, dude, let's open a freaking gym. Like, let's, <laughs> let's get this go space back going. In. I, Send me back in. Nothing. It's so fun. Nothing gets me more excited. Like, and it's why we cover a lot of the stuff too. That's like the trends on how bad health and wellness, like how bad obesity is, how, where the kids are going, like all that stuff we've written about so many times because it's, it's something I'm so passionate about. Um, for these gym owners, it's a matter of there's the basics of marketing and building your brand, 
and making sure your programming and what you're doing and the modalities you're approaching are done right and they're scalable and run. But there's enough assets out there that can teach you that. I would love to... Anyone that's interested in that, let's jam all day. It's fun. It's such a fun thing. And I think... But again, am I going to want to learn from the guy who has 10 gyms? Or do I want to learn from some of the things that... You know, I mean, as much as everybody who's a gym owner hates like the connected fitness space, like what Peloton and Tonal did, some of their marketing strategies, some of their growth strategies, some of the things they've done, some of the events they put on. If I was a gym owner, I'd be doing that. I'd be looking at what they're doing. So providing an outside look of beyond the typical mastermind type of people that are doing all of this gym stuff, you have to be smarter and you have to look out there, but also understand what's going to happen if you're going to run this gym for years. Where are the, where is the spend right now? We just did a breakdown of Gen Z's like interest in fitness. They're going to be your biggest consumer in five years where they're spending their money. They're all, they're in their twenties now. They're going to be spending money five, 10 years from now. And you have to understand what are they interested in? They're interested in a ton of nutrition. They're interested in the meditation and mental health stuff. They're interested in being outside. I'd be running you know, trail run like meetups and I'd be doing yoga. Like we used to put on yoga events in Pittsburgh when we had our gym, 400 people would show up to do yoga in downtown Pittsburgh, which is not something you would see in a city like Pittsburgh and got tons and tons of new customers. And that was eight years ago, 10 years ago. So what would you be doing now? All of that is stuff that trainers and coaches and gym owners need to be looking at. Also, no one can get, get around the online side. If I had 10 gyms or 100 gyms, I'd still have a good online business. Not as much maybe as about selling programs. I'd be giving stuff away for free. I'd be building a brand around who I am because that value, maybe you do sell your gyms or maybe you you know, want to keep expanding. You're eventually going to have to raise money if you are taking on this much owned real estate. So your personal brand, the things you know, the way you approach yourself, I don't know how people... Let's say... If I had five facilities, even just going and building the right kind of debt system and bringing on, you know, local checks from people, that's not something I thought of or knew about when I was running gyms. But 100%, if you have five facilities and you structure your deal right with debt from SBA, I mean, loans are crazy right now with interest rates, but like local checks, if you could do like a roll up vehicle and get people interested, and it's just so such a different world. Why aren't we all thinking about it? bigger than where we're at right now with our four walls. I think that was an interesting point you said. So about the online training piece, because I think people are kind of struggling. A lot of people went all in or not all in, but they really invested in the online piece because of, uh, you know, the COVID. But and now some people are holding on to them. Some people aren't. But I guess what you're saying, it sounded like what you were suggesting is people should put out programming and content and brand their kinds of workouts, but maybe not necessarily think of it as a money-making venture, think of it as a marketing uh, part of your business to draw people in and eyeballs. Is that, is that what you were saying? Yeah. Especially now with how you can target ad, target ads, how you can target customers and just kind of that online presence. If I planned on expanding in different areas, there's a good way to reach people. Um, if I planned on raising money of any kind, that personal brand and that asset is valuable as a marketing tactic. Cause you're going to, again, if, if you're doing this properly, I'm going to have to go to my investors and say, well, my customer acquisition cost on average is this. Yes, there's my paid, but also if I'm running an ad, there's the general sign up a form for my gym ad, or there's the, 
you know, here's a video of us working out. Here's content we've done. Here's our programming. Follow us and convert them five or six times down the road. It's a better way to do it. I mean, we're doing it now with certain partners and gyms we've invested, gyms we've invested in people we know that content that you've created is a better ad than the traditional basic agency that runs a format. And if I go and I follow, um, John has 50,000 followers. His name is big. His brand is big. He's converting people left and right. That's why if you look at like Melissa Wood and all these other play, these like massive creators, like the, the big, I can name 10 big creators right now that are online only that are all looking at opening brick and mortar facilities under their name. It's brick and mortar's phenomenal business. And these trainers and coaches that have these really big online brands are coming into the brick and mortar space because the value, the customer acquisition, and just the ability to attract overall, even if you run an ad and it's gym up the street with a poorly managed website, a poorly managed Facebook and a decent brand, or it's John, the trainer with a hundred thousand followers and he's well known and he has the cool presence and he has a cool website and all that stuff. Where's the average consumer going to go? It's pretty simple. So they, they know if I can win online and I can bring some of my audience and then use my marketing and my ability and my branding to come in person, I'm going to have a profitable gym. And I'm seeing the business plans and the models and they they look awesome. So I'm trying, I want the gym, trainers and the coaches and I talk to them all the time, like on a personal level, friends and stuff to start building that brand so they can go and compete the other way. So when you have a large brand, I see the distribution play going to brick and mortar makes total sense. You said it here before you said every company should be a media company. I mean, we're pretty well resourced software company. We find it hard enough to do software and do media well, much less like a small gym owner uh, who has to do all the functions of the gym and then somehow find time to, you know, be quote unquote a media company. So like, what does that, what does that mean for a gym owner or a personal trainer? How would you advise somebody to, to be a media company? It really depends on what their goals are. And this is like the same for you guys. I mean, looking at, I get what you're doing. If you're going to be the, the software and you're going to build the media system, but it's also like what the story is that you're telling and what the value is. And a lot of people look at the media and they're like, I'm just going to create content, but it's like, what's the value of it? You know, what's the differentiating factor? What is the purpose? Like us and thinking about coming into a sector where there's two associations, four incumbents, three startups and they're all doing the same variation of something. And we're like, well, we're going to do that, do it way better in our way and for a different approach and different market, different value proposition. And we think it's going to work because this is who we're talking to and this is how we're approaching it. So if I was a gym owner, it'd be the same thing. If I, if I had no aspirations beyond building that one facility in Pittsburgh or Philly or Boston or wherever, maybe two facilities, I'd be creating content about the best run, the best run routes in my city. I'd be, I'd be organizing runs at those run routes. I'd be doing, I'd be putting on events. I'd be, I'd be creating content about how to train for the local marathon that everybody does every year. I'd be, um, having meetups. I'd be doing content about my favorite local juice bars and shops and healthy restaurants. And if I'm in Pittsburgh, well, I can eat healthy if I go to these 10 restaurants and eat these things. Um, and I become, we did that. That's how we started our last company or yeah, whatever we want, whatever many one was ago. 
we had hundreds of thousands of people in Pittsburgh, which is a small city, following us about like where to run, where to hike, where to bike, what the kayak thing was, how to live an active lifestyle. And we were doing that because we were trainers and coaches and we wanted people to be around us and whatever else. So it works. There's a lot of ways to do it. If I want to be the guy that has, if I want to be the kettlebell guy and I want to have 50 different group kettlebell facilities and I was doing that over again, I would have so many kind of me working out with all different types of clients that I have to show everybody because there's still a stigma of like it's hard and I would show my style against hard style. Uh, Excuse me. I would be talking about form and programs. I'd be giving away free programs left and right, 10 day, 50 day, whatever kettlebell thing. Um, I would be interviewing other famous kettlebell trainers about how they do it and what their form style is. And like I said, it really just depends on, on for who, but there's always an angle that is always value for that consumer you're trying to reach. So who's, uh, you said you invest in some gyms. Who's, uh, like, who do you want to shout out? Who's doing this right? Yeah. Who, what are those models you're so excited about? We don't shout, we're not shouting anyone yet. Cause it's all, all of our investments and stuff's kind of behind the scenes right now. Um, we've made startups and gyms included 32 investments. Um, so we're getting there. Some of them are large companies, some are small. We're not talking much about any of them yet, but, um, I'd say the models that I'm really interested in right now, and it's more the people too, that run them. There's this weird ego thing right now with trainers and gym and, and trainers and coaches and gym owners. They're like online fitness sucks. People that work out at home are lame. It's all about community. It's all about this. Um, I, I won't name them, but there's so many of those guys out there and it's like, all right, dude, get over yourself. Um, and that approach to putting down a sector that is technically a competitor of yours is not the right way to do it. It's the way of, you know, the world's changed. Some people work remote. Some people can know they can get a workout at home. They want to run, they want to bike. It's being that all encompassing, um, source for fitness, active lifestyle, recreation, and really meeting people where they are because it's changed. People's interests and habits have changed and they're bucketing fitness dollars with, like I said, wearables and events and mental health. And, you know, I'm going to other ship and I'm doing sauna and cold now. And I want a cold plunge. That's their fitness bucket. So be that guy. And like one of the gyms is, um, they have the sick, float sauna cold plunge and then they have the fitness stuff um you can have access both you can get that kind of premium membership to do both that's really doing well and an exciting approach um another one is really driven off of the we call it like the life coaching model we'll 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 sit down with you we'll spend the time again it's a premium approach but where's your nutrition where's your health how are you feeling what are you spending money on what are you doing what do you want to do um, and we'll be there or we'll bring people in around the table from the dietitian or the other side of like helping you train for these things and achieve your goals. And your goal is not just do a workout at my gym. It's like, where are you going actually? And I'll help you get there. And that's kind of like concierge fitness ish, but it's really exciting to see because people love that attention and they love the ability to chase beyond just do my workout. Cause my workout's awesome. And I'm such a good trainer, which is what a lot of trainers have. 
I'm excited to see how that one turns out. We tried it once. We called it Silver Bullet. The Silver Bullet program, I think, is what we we got as far as the name. And then I think this we were, we were pre Peter Atia, though. You know, Huberman didn't exist yet. People weren't telling people about longevity all day, every day. Yeah, we did. We did have the idea. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we can start now. Yeah, we'll like, go back like in. you. We'll just go backwards. When you open your gym, we'll operate out of there. All right, we'll, we'll make yeah. you done. You got to move to Pittsburgh. We saw a space the other day that looks promising. Uh, there we go. Um, if it's fifteen hundred bucks a month for rent, I can only imagine what uh, Florida housing for what we get for the the Florida housing prices we're currently paying. Yes, I've heard you say on other shows that one of the biggest opportunities in fitness is certifying fitness pros, and I agree, but on the surface, that seems like something that would be relatively easy to get started. Um, like an organization like you guys, where you have some built-in distribution, partnering with some influential people within the space. Like, why isn't anybody tackling that problem? It seems like the you want to talk about um, like crusty incumbents. That seems to be like uh, ground zero for that. The worst of the worst. The worst of the worst is in that industry. Um, they have come and gone, and they do the same thing. And they sell the same certification mills and they make the same amount of insane money. I got to see some of the decks from the, let's say, third tier certifying bodies, second or third tier, um, 30, 40, 50 million a year in revenue. So the numbers are bananas. These things are just printing money and taking advantage of trainers and coaches or in reality, providing a very basic service. So um, I think... Others will come and they have come and they're doing it now, but they all end up in the same route because it's the easiest way to make money. It's the easiest way to online trainer certification, academy, nutrition, sports certification, trainer, academy, whatever you want to call it. They do it. They make money that way. What I'm talking about from the education piece is not just the, this, like the online thing. Um, it's not just, oh, I go and I get my certification for this because I, the reason I say this is such a big opportunity, I think a certification is going to become irrelevant soon because how many trainers and coaches do you know that learned what they know from being a coach through their NASM certification or their ISSA certification, or is it from something else? Is it from the workshops they went to, the other coaches they look up to, the people that are the mentors of them? And, you know, I learned everything about mobility from Kelly Starrett. He's, he does have a trainer certification, but it's not some big, massive thing. It's just him truly trying to just take his knowledge and provide it to other trainers. Um, Rob Shaw, same thing. His trainings and mentorships and other stuff. I've learned so much just from reading his books and in his programs and I would have taken a certification. So it's just not valuable anymore. And then they're, they're not, and this kind of goes to the other mastermind groups and other systems that people buy how do I build a business, a true business? And I want to learn that all in one place. I want to learn not just about scientific stuff that you would get through the CS, but CSCS, but like what, how to program, what's the next wave of modalities? How do I market and build my gym? How do I scale up my trainers? How do I hire the right people? All of that stuff should be one place. Um, and you've seen these celebrity trainers and other people do it, but most of the time, the best coach, the best trainer, the best person is not the famous Pilates instructor or the famous coach 90% of the time. So there's like the, what is his name? Mike 
Berger, the like USA weightlifting guy that was like OG from CrossFit. Like, Bergeron. He needs to. No, that's yeah. Ben he Bergeron needs to be teaching oh, stuff. Oh, Bergner. Yeah, okay. Bergner. He he needs to be teaching stuff. What is his thing? Go find him and take all of his information and provide it into workshops and trainings and stuff. Um, what is Kelly doing? What are some of these other experts doing? And build a business around all of them, though. Like you have to be the source that goes to all of them. And um, yeah, that's the thing that I think would be the most helpful for the industry. And then a part of it too, that is really about building the businesses, but also a lot of them have built really good businesses. Yeah. That was like CrossFit in uh, 2011. All those guys were under there. Yeah. That, that wave of experts were just unbelievable. And then that wave of CrossFit owners and coaches and trainers, they were the, some of the best gyms that ever went through CrossFit because of who they were trained by. And the, the, like, the seminar staff that went through that, those types of people, it was crazy. So. so much came out of San Francisco CrossFit. They were one of our clients before they closed. And I was like devastated when they closed that place down because it was so important and influential in my life. Like you think of like Diane Fu was out of there, Carl Paoli, Kelly Sturette. And then like uh, just so many people paid homage there. And then uh, that was the era Rob Wolf was doing nutrition and CrossFit. It was like a, it was like a religion. It was like a cult. And uh, yeah, I think that carried the movement for like 10 years. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. And that's what the industry, there's a huge space for the, I mean, you mentioned Huberman and Artia and all these people, the average consumer is listening to two hour podcasts about some jacked up nerd talk about neuroscience. I mean, they're, they're ready to learn the trainers, the coaches, the consumers, the other people, they're ready to learn and optimize what used to be called the biohacker movement is now not that because we're not hacking. We're just trying to optimize and feel better. And the average consumer that's making a certain amount of money that has the time and effort to spend on this, they um, they are out there and they this whether it's from them or from you, they'll pay for the things. They're buying the eight sleeps. They're 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 spending the money on wearables. They're going through the nutrition stuff. It's just crazy how much opportunity. And then like it goes back to like the same mastermind or magazine or industry publications talking about you know the same nonsense when the, the world has changed so much in the past five years. Well, I think a lot of it's peddling to influence and power. And, and in a lot of the the publications, at least I see they're they're not really, you know, you'll never see something in club industry or athlete tech about like knees over toes guy. And so like, he's like the guy who to me feels like, like that feels like CrossFit very early on. Like he's building up this movement. He's got this, like, uh, this dogma and, uh, he's got all these little disciples who are influential in building up their own followings and people are trying to affiliate and people are trying to do that in their programming. They're changing the landscape of the gym. People are buying all this equipment that they didn't have before like it's completely changing the way certain gym owners think about fitness and certain fitness people think about fitness and like you wouldn't hear you wouldn't hear about them in any of those major publications yeah totally that's why we have coming on soon joe holder hopefully i don't know if you know who he is he's like a trainer coach he's awesome doing really cool community stuff jesse eislet or whatever his name is the guy who was like a billionaire who now runs all day running company which is like a running group thing, which is cool. Want to have knees over toes guys on the podcast. Jesse Itzler, the guy, the guy who, uh, he was a guy who had David Goggins live with him. Yeah. That guy. Yeah. 
Um, cause he now runs, uh, he ran a running company. He sold to iFit and now he runs another one with a famous guy on Instagram named Devin, um, who like is like a big influencer guy, but they're doing some really cool stuff around like the running community. So yeah, like it's those, that's, it's so fun for all of that, but also yes, knees over toes guys love his stuff. And Joe's obsessed with it. He does it all the time. But then also, um, for us, it's like, okay, he's great. And then at the same time, I want to hear about the guy who just launched, um, remedy place, the like high end recovery space in New York. And then I want to hear about the guy who built the newest, like, ketamine therapy thing who's doing mental health and all that because it's all that like if you're a person you need to you need to be healthy all around so like that's where we bring that edge of like we want to hear about all of it it's all fun to hear in some way for us at least so with fit capital you're investing in lots of different uh fitness and wellness companies some of them are uh seem to be brick and mortar gyms uh and new concepts when you are investing in these companies and in advising some of your founders that you're working with, what are some of the struggle? What are the biggest struggles they're coming up against and how are you advising them and helping them work through those? Yeah, I think they're uh, the investment world. It's attracted. I mean, you guys probably have gone through this. Everybody thinks they have to raise money. They have to raise a pre-seed, a seed. They have to go to real, real investors. They have to have their pitch decks and all that stuff. Not every business is meant to raise money at all. So it's like, making them understand their financing approach, understand the other opportunities besides traditional venture capital that they have. Um, and then really kind of from that engineering, where are they trying to take this? And that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs never think about right away. It's, it's not always the billion dollar exit. It's never really that it's the only ones you hear about, but there's 10 million failed versions of that. So it's like, is this a $20 million company, a $50 million company, a $100 million company? Is it a cash flowing business that does this? Is it a long hold? Whatever. So really taking the experiences we've had across the, the different ranges of things that we've done to say, what are you building here? Get a real, a realistic approach to that. And then once we have this kind of goals and plans, reverse engineer, okay, we can do that this way with this amount of money and we can, uh, you know, our biggest skill set is avoiding the, the speed bumps that we've hit in our career because we, we've done them. You never think about some of these things. I've hit them enough times where I'm like, everybody's going to hit them at one point. So doing that and then outside of that, it's really the network side. It's um, we have tens of thousands of people, whether they're investors, owners, trainers, coaches, other people, they could be clients. It could be partners, it could be other investors and helping them get their information together and then get to those people, get their first client, get their next investor, get their other people through just a personal network. And then also it goes back to the media side, really focusing on what is your brand media story? What are you telling? Where are you spending those dollars? What are you doing with your marketing and otherwise? Because most of the time these companies blow money on PR, on marketing, on storytelling, on copy, on websites, on other things that might not be important or there's an easier way to do it or there's a different way to approach it. So doing all of that and helping them get from... Because we invest very early. Well, I've invested a number of times and like, this dude has an idea. 
it's on a deck. It's a piece of paper that says, I want to build this. And I'm like, okay, I think we could do this. So it's getting them from zero to one as fast as humanly possible in that momentum and then helping them avoid the speed bumps beyond that. When you, it sounded like you started your gym in a similar manner to me, or it's like you have a shitty Excel spreadsheet and you're like, oh, if I do this and I get a hundred members, like one day I can make like $4,000 a month and that would be amazing, right? And now it seems like we've pivoted a little bit where a gym owner wants to make real wealth and some people are, are, are doing that. You said you went through the process of trying to sell your business and it was like embarrassing because you were uh, so unprepared and now you probably are on the other end of the table for a lot of stuff like that. If you are counseling a uh, like brick and mortar gym owner on like how to get ready or how to, how to create like a sellable business, what would you tell them in order to get their house in order? Yeah, there's so many versions of this out there, but it's not just an Excel spreadsheet. It's a, it's a true financial model. It takes into account everything that you're doing. There's um, insight. I don't know. I'll find it. Um, there's a If you look up financial models for different types of businesses, you could find a lot of free ones or a lot of ones that cost a hundred bucks. There's a lot of really good, good ones out there. It's truly understanding your financial model, not just, okay, I make X amount of money and I spend this on rent. It's like really getting into acquisition costs, growth costs, the, you know, taking and building out and making sure you have the right insurances and the right taxes and the right employment stuff and the right contracts. Um, and you're using the right softwares and the right systems. Because if I'm buying a business, I don't want, unless I'm looking to take advantage of the owner and say, and you see this, it's a huge trend nowadays with these like certain creators online that are all find undervalued businesses that suck, but you can make more money on. You don't want to be that guy that gets or that girl that they take advantage of. So have all that in order, know what your business does, make sure all everything is crossed. And then um, really spend time on acquisition and understand what it costs to grow. And then from there, the next phase is if you want to open more facilities or you want to sell to somebody that wants to open more facilities, really understand how this is packaged beyond your current four walls and your current facility. Like this is what I do here in Pittsburgh, but how is this going to work in Philly or Cleveland or DC? What is the space I would need? What is the cost in the setup of opening that next gym? What is the system that I'm going to, you know, the gym in a box type stuff? Like, what is that? And if you have those things and you're running properly, it's easier for you to raise money, get loans. It's easier for you to have somebody acquire your business. Um, and at the very least, if it's just for you, your house is in order and you should spend less time worrying and wasting. All right. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode. Anthony, thank you so much for coming on. If people want to find you, follow you, uh, ask you to invest in their gym concept, where do they find you? Yes. Um, most active on LinkedIn under Anthony Venary and then um, fit. So F I T T insider. Um, find us online through the newsletter or whatever the newsletter, as you guys said, comes from my email, which was a terrible mistake because so many people email and I get terrible. I'm not bad. I'm not, I'm very bad at responding now, but um, send me an email and, or reach out on LinkedIn and, and let's chat about if you're building the next software called Kilo or the next thing. Um, yeah. Hit me up. Let's talk about it. Somehow tail managed to get through. So maybe tail do a different strategy on, you know, how he got through, just respond to every day to a weekly email. That's a, I think that's what tail did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just become a fan and then you get a, you can get a response. 
All right, that about does it. Be sure to unlike, unsubscribe, and leave a hateful comment in the comments. We'll see you all next week. That's brand media right there. <laughs>